Morning, man. Wow, golly, big group for a summer day. I tell you, don't y'all have jobs or something? I mean, what are we doing around here? I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I've already been offended this morning. I was called a used car salesman this morning. I, I don't know, Michael. Golly, there's a lot of things to call me, but uh, <laughs> that's right. You become what comes. Let's, let's change the message this morning <laughs> for this table right here. Couple of announcements this morning. If you look on your table, uh, I'm taking this very serious this week, and uh, it's it's something that two different times over the last two weeks has been brought to my attention. I actually had a meeting on it last week, but you'll notice there's a blood drive, and uh, it's going to be here at the church. And a lot of times we have the blood mobile out here, and people see it, and some give blood, and some don't. Uh, Amarillo is in a critical, critical need of blood. As a matter of fact, the way it's explained to me this past week. If, uh, if we had three or four major car accidents, um, there's a possibility that we wouldn't have blood to supply that. We are as critical as we are with our oil reserves right now. Okay, y'all didn't get that. That was a political statement. We, we'd be in trouble. If, if I were China watching this, I might invade Taiwan. But anyway, um, I would simply say that uh, um, I, I want us as men to lead the charge on this. So I'm going to ask you, if you will, to, to uh, look at those. There's cards on each one of your tables, and we really are in that critical of a supply right now. The Texas Panhandle's in a critical supply. We had the tornado hit uh, up in Perryton this past week, um, along with several other things that have happened, but even prior to that, we were in critical supply, critical shortage. By the way, it's very different than going and giving plasma if you go and give plasma, plasma I put on your notes there, plasma can be used for all kinds of things. And I generally don't give a plug for anything, but blood saves lives. Uh, plasma can be used in lipstick and other things. That's why they pay you for it. Did you know the only way that uh, companies can actually ask for blood is for it to be through a 501c3? So they are not allowed to uh, make money off of blood. That's against the law. And so anytime you give blood, it saves lives. That's the bottom line. Do we have any O negatives in here? Yeah, you don't even want to raise your hand. You're a universal donor. So I'm an O negative. My wife is an O negative. Let's, let's, let's try y'all out a little bit, which means we would be what in the cattle world? We'd be homozygous. What? Y'all don't even want to learn this morning. Homozygous, so we'd be universal, which also makes my children what? There you go, O negative. Okay, now we're rolling. Everybody's thinking, I'm glad. We better go to the Lord in a word of prayer. I can already tell. We got a good group this morning. We got to wake up. Dear Jesus, wake us up to your word. Continue to teach us, show us, direct us, instruct us. Father, we want to know you. And Lord, we want to be givers. And Lord, we give of our finances. We give in so many ways through our service and all. But Lord, I know Amarillo, Texas right now is in short supply of blood. And Father, in Scripture, blood equals life. It's called lifeblood in Scripture. So Father, let us be men of, of giving lives. And Father, giving the life of blood, the needed, the needed thing of blood. Father, uh, I want to take this serious this week and, and Lord, uh, uh, really have us give a good show. And Lord, I, I pray over the message this morning, Lord, may it be your word that is given and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I signed a book to my son to read, and it's been uh, several years ago. It's written by John Bunyan. It's called The Pilgrim's Progress. Have any of you read The, the Pilgrim's Progress? Okay, good for both of you. Um, it's, uh, 
it's a great book, and it's, it's a great book on instruction and on life and on some other things. It's a, it's a known book. There was another one that was written called The Pilgrim's Regress, and many of you will be familiar with that author. His name's C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis wrote The Pilgrim's Regress, and, and he said in that book, he said, you all know, said the guy, that security is moral, mortal's greatest enemy. Security is mortal's greatest enemy. In other words, when we're secure, when we feel good, when things are going right, when things are the way they should be, when there's peace in the house, when, when everybody's prospering, then it's easy to become complacent. And through that complacency, if we're not careful, men, then uh, we're not going to be ready. We're not going to be prepared for when the enemy shows up. And over the past couple of weeks, I've been preaching in a sermon series, and hopefully you've heard it, and I've been talking about King David and, and, uh, and even King Saul some. And I wanted us, I, I really uh, had to change this uh, last week because I thought, you know what, I feel like I'm not, I'm not going to have time to cover uh, uh, the, the variety, I guess, of Saul and David's life, all the things that, that happened. I had to pull some scripture out. As you know, I've had too many notes over the last few weeks. So I said, we can just put that in brave hearts and we can go on. So I'm going to come to you from First uh, Samuel chapter 10, and I want us to look at something, a couple of things this morning. One is that be careful with complacency, because when we are complacent, when things are, are really good, when we finally hit that, that place that we call on the level, be careful there because it's in that time, that should be a time of preparation. Otherwise, when the enemy does show up, so many times the enemy shows up and we immediately fall victim. That's why we are to be every day putting on the shoes of the gospel, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, and the helmet of salvation. Every day, it's a daily journey. It's a daily walk. And man, you guys showing up this morning, uh, are, show me that it, you're taking it very serious. So in 1 Samuel chapter 10, this is Samuel. Now, Samuel is the prophet. And if you've been with me over the past, like I say, two or three weeks on Sunday morning, I've not gone back this far. And that's why I kind of wanted to, to bring everybody up to where we are in our message series on Sunday. So 1 Samuel chapter 10, Samuel took a flask of olive oil, poured it on Saul's head. He kissed him and said, the Lord has anointed you to be ruler of his people. You will rule his people and save them from all their enemies. This will be the sign that the Lord has anointed you to be ruler of his people. So the first thing we need to see about King Saul is King Saul, really, he stood ahead above the shoulders of all men, and he was very big. He was very uh, uh, powerful. But there came a time when King Saul started saying, I can do this myself. I don't need Samuel to show up. I can do the sacrifices. I can prophesy prophesy with the prophets, if you know his story. And so he really, in some ways, became complacent. He was a strong leader. He was a big man. He, he fought many wars. He was proven. But there was a time when he had, if you will, peace in the house. Now, it may sound familiar because there was a time when David had peace in the house. The war was going on, but he came home from the war. And, and uh, you will remember that's when Bathsheba showed up because he became a little bit complacent. He became a little bit, hey, I'm king and uh, everybody else is fighting the battle. Complacency can bring us to a place, if we're not careful, of not understanding, of not accepting, of not seeing and not listening to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Complacency can be an enemy of man's soul. Complacency can cause, cause us to fall victim when we think that we are strong. We are called not to be a complacent, a complacent people, a complacent person who no longer puts on the armor of God. We are called 
to always put on the armor of God, to always be a warrior for God's purpose, for his kingdom purpose, because God never rests. David and Saul had many great and similar qualities in life. Both were incredible leaders. Both were warriors. Both heard from God most days. Both would reign for 40 years, but only one would set up an eternal throne. Only one would be identified as a man after God's own heart. The other would see himself as a victim to changing circumstances. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, you see, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, speaking of David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So here we have Samuel, who is the prophet, who anoints two kings. Different times, different periods, but the first one is Samuel's. Or, I'm sorry, the first one is Saul. Saul does a great job for a time, but when he chooses to walk outside of the anointing that he was anointed with, he becomes dangerous. When he chose to do things his way instead of God's way, he became dangerous even to God's people. David, in the same way, was anointed, and as he was anointed with the oil of Samuel, the same oil that anointed Saul, David, too, would hear from God. David, too, would lead well. David, too, would fall, but David, too, would pin the words, though a righteous man fall. Actually, his son would pin the words, though a righteous man fall, he gets up seven times. David would get back up and reign. Look, when, remember, when Saul was attempting to pin David to the wall with his spear, it's, it's interesting because he had to have recognized God's anointing. But when we get in our kingdoms and there are our own kingdoms, sometimes we don't see or act accordingly to God. He had to have seen and known that the anointing had left him and was now upon David. And because of that, he became jealous of him. There's, there's no doubt he had David come over several times and, and play some of his favorite Hank Williams Jr. songs. All my rowdy friends are coming over tonight. And they did. They showed up. But as soon as he would quit, spears went flying. Why? Because Saul started falling to a victim state. He didn't prepare himself in peacetime. He wasn't ready for war. He had the largest army. The Philistines were on the run. Things weren't that bad, but he could no longer see it. His victim state turned him into a jealous state, and he heard the cries of his people that said, Saul killed his 1,000 and David his 10,000. And in Scripture, I wrote in here that uh, he heard his people say, that's not what the Scripture says. It says he heard the women say. He heard the cheerleaders say, and he got jealous. You, you, be careful. Be careful. Do you see a pattern here? What does victimization lead to? Now, I talk about victimization a lot because what I see in our culture today, as a matter of fact, what spurred this on originally several weeks ago, I had told uh, um, as, as uh, Pastor Joshua that um, I had two messages I wanted to give, and one's going to lead right into the next one in Bravehearts. And he's like, all right, I'll schedule it for, the, for these two days. And these are the messages, and it came from a conversation. It came from a conversation of a woman who caught me after church, and I was like, you know what? I don't know that you're any different than you were this time last year. What happened? Are you growing in Christ, or did you find a place of peace and think that was, that was going to be the place forever? Yes, Jesus is peace, and we have peace in every and each circumstance because he leads us, but we have to be careful because if we're always living in a victim state, we'll never be victors. 
a place of being offended. If we're not careful, this can kill us. It'll kill our relationships. It'll kill the people that we love around us simply, not purposely. It'll just kill the relationships that we have with them. Who wants to be around a victim all of their lives? I want to be on the winning team. I thought that's what this was about in Jesus Christ. Now we come by it very naturally, men. Genesis chapter 3. Now the servant was more crafty than any wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but did God say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and must not touch it or you will die? You will not certainly die, said the serpent to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So she was convinced by a serpent in the garden, things were good, things were golden. They were in the presence of the Lord. But she was convinced by the serpent that, hey, it could still be better for you. Did God really say? Does God really have our best interest in mind, men? You ever, you ever wonder that? Does God really have our best interest in mind? Why does this happen? Why, you know, uh, I, I, the last couple of days have been hard on me just in, in prayer time because um, there's a friend of mine who lost his 23-year-old daughter this week. Um, out of Tulia. He's the mayor of Tulia, and we were in high school together. He graduated a year before me, and I just saw him at a funeral uh, not a month ago, a month and a half ago, and we visited for a good while. You know, it's, it's difficult because we start asking some tough questions, and, and we wonder if God is really, really for us. Well, if God's not for us, listen, we are a victim. That's just the way it boils out. So our perception of God has to be correct because if it's not, we will think, well, God could have changed this. Why did God allow this to happen? And those are deep questions, but careful with those questions because they'll place us, if we're not careful, with, with a, a, a misappropriated thought of God and who He is. God is love. He is not holding out on us. Eve was convinced, and eventually she convinced her husband that God was holding out his best from him and from her. No doubt we can fall victim. It's a dangerous state for all of us. In Matthew chapter 27, the scripture says, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. I have sinned, he said, and I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. And really what they said was true. You made that decision. You made that choice. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. That's a bad ending. You see, it's not much different than King Saul. When you look at King Saul, see, David got up. He did something about it. He failed men. He was challenged in life. He had the same challenges we did, but he understood that he was anointed as king. He was anointed for this task, for this time at hand. He had a right perception of God. 
um, one of the, the books. Oh, shoot. It's on next week's questions. I'm giving you a summer recommended reading list. And one of the books that I have on there is David perceived he was king because he knew who he was called to and why he was called for the purpose that God had called him for. So here's the thing. King Saul, he knew it at one time, but it left him. It became about Saul's kingdom and not God's kingdom. In 1 Samuel chapter 31, it looks a lot like Judas. So Saul took his sword and he fell on it. When his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and he died with him. Thus Saul died with his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men on that day together. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, it opens up this way. How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? The young man who told him said, By chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and behold, Saul was leaning on his spear. And behold, the chariots and the horsemen pursued him closely. When he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me. And I said, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? And I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. And then he said to me, Please stand beside me and kill me, for agony has seized me because my life still lingers in me. So I stood beside him and I killed him. So this guy is claiming that, Look, I took Saul's life. Now we know that Saul fell on his Lord or fell on his sword, but he here, as you continue to read in 2 Samuel, this guy's saying, I think he's hoping to get rewarded for it. It didn't go well for him. So I stood beside him. I killed him because I knew that I could uh, live after he had fallen, or I could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown, which was on his head, and the bracelet, which was on his arm, and I've brought them here to you, my Lord. When you hold, look, when you hold on to a victim mentality long enough, to stay offended, it can kill you and it will kill those around you. Life ends as you know it. becomes It becomes self-mutilization. It has the power to ruin your life. It has the power to end your life. We know that Saul took his own life. We know that this man, this Amalekite, comes and tells King David. And what does King David wind up doing? He says it's going to cost you your life too. That's what he does. So what about being a real victim? What about if something bad has happened to you? Because there is no doubt that, that people are challenged, that bad things happen to good people. And I've said many times there are no good people, but there are bad things that happen to good people. But look, that can happen. That can stop with you. When you learn how to be a victor instead of being a victim, you know, this is a dangerous statement, but it's a true statement. Victimization is as much of an attitude as it is a reality. It's as much of an attitude, men, as it is a reality. But what about divorce? What about a wife that left me for no reason? What about I provided for my children and now one of them doesn't have, wouldn't have anything to do with me? Those are terrible things. But look, consistency and being the constant voice in their life of who God is and what he's called you to do will one day speak volumes to them that you can't may not concede today that's what happens it is a test life is a test of our faith how can I be an overcomer how can I stop thinking on the bad and begin to recognize the good what's it going to take well the first the first answer to that is what I've already stated learn to recognize it it's a natural sin to think you're a victim it's been with us from the very beginning, from at, or from the book of Genesis. Recognize it, speak to it, focus on God, and focus on your future with Him. Sometimes, men, we're the ones that are in the storm, in the middle of the sea, and we're the ones that are called to see the other side. No one else is going to see it. 
All they're going to see is the storm. They're going to see the size of the waves. They're, they're, they're going to say how bad we're sinking. The water's getting in. That's what they're going to be able to see. But we as men of God are called to see the other side. No, there's more to this story. And we're in a difficult part of the story. But God is still writing the story of my life and the lives of those around me. The second thing is, is learn. Learn what it means to forgive. I still work on forgiveness. Now, we've got the four, the four thoughts on forgiveness here that we've taught. We haven't taught it in two or three years and probably need to bring it back up. But it's important, the four stages of forgiveness. If you've not heard that, um, talk to me afterwards, and I'll find, I'll find my notes and send them to you. But the four stages on forgiveness. And, um, you know, you have to learn how to forgive. Because if you don't forgive, many times you stay in a victim state. Now, some, sometimes, now, now let me say about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not forgetfulness. All right? You, you don't have to forget. How do you forget? I mean, if you've been burned bad in a fire, you think you forget that? You still bear those scars. You know, there was a time when, when I worked in the burn clinic at Bamsey, and, and uh, I worked on a man. As a matter of fact, I saw him a, about five or six years ago. He was on a 2020 edition. It was kind of neat to see where he was today, but he got burned so bad in the military that he lost his arms, and he lost the lower part of his legs. I was there the first time we stood him up, and we had him strapped in, and, and it's called orthostatic hypertension, hypertension, if you've ever seen that, and basically they just fill with blood. The blood rushes through them and and they pass out and he passed out and we had to lay him back down and then try to get him back to going I, I mean he wasn't dead or anything I just mean just try to try to wake him up and then when he woke up we gave him about five minutes and did it again you know and we were trying to get him used to to coming back up and and it was sad because his lips were completely burned off all these things had happened and, and he had to go through so many reconstructive surgeries but the beautiful thing was he had people around him and his heart never grew hardened, at least while I was there working with him. He still had a mind of love and a mind of compassion. He did not let that defeat him, but he saw the scars that had burned him. And I'm going to tell you something. You didn't light a fire in that room, right? He had forgiveness, but he still, he still had those scars. You don't forget. You just learn what it means to forgive and move on in your life. The third thing is believe. First, believe what God says about you. You are an overcomer. You were created as a son or daughter of the Most High God. You are seated in high places with Jesus himself. And, and you can see with a vision greater than yourself because you're in Christ Jesus. So we've got to learn to get over ourselves. We are new creations in God. And the fourth thing is something, men, that we really struggle with today. When I put this together, I was thinking of my own self. Uh, you ever feel like you have so many responsibilities you can't get to them all? You know, I'm plowing right now. You know what happens when you break down? <laughs> you're already mad because the air conditioner is not working. So when you break down and you're on limited time and you're going until late at night and you even try to get the lights going on the tractor and everything else, you just, you're just trying to make it through another season. Right? What happens is, is you have so many responsibilities and you feel like you, you got to take this. And, and I, I heard God tell me last night, why don't you just write them down and then prioritize? Because what you might think is a priority right now may not be what I feel is a priority in your life. Take responsibility, men. That's the fourth thing. Part of being a man, if not all parts of being a man, 
is taking responsibility. David took responsibility. He eventually said, I've got to grow up. I've got to grow up. This kingdom of God is far bigger and far greater than myself, and I have a great responsibility to it. If you're a grown man, you are responsible for you. First and foremost, be responsible with you, and then you can learn to be responsible and help others around you. You know, in the end, we don't want to be defined as a victim in this life. We're going to be defined as we had a lot of trials, we had a lot of tribulations. But most importantly, we went through those trials and tribulations with Jesus, and we could see to the other side because we are a person who lives in victory and not as a victim. What is the tell of your life today, men? One of a victim or one of victory? Are you a Saul? Are you a David? All of us need to come back and ask ourselves those questions at different times in our lives. There are questions speaking of on your uh, tables in front of you, and so table leaders, feel free to start leading us through our discussion. Those of you who are with us online this morning, thank you for being with us this morning.